I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show we're gonna do a podcast now let's do it we're gonna record it so many so many so many damn books welcome to so many damn books i'm christopher i'm drew and we have courtney mom in the damn library with us. <laughs> um, Courtney is the author of the novels Touch, and I'm having so much fun here without you. The chapbook Notes from Mexico and the forthcoming handbook Before and After the Book Deal, A Writer's Guide to Finishing, Publishing, Promoting, and Surviving Your First Book. Her writings and essays have appeared widely, and she is the founder of the Learning Collaborative The Cabins, and she also works as a product and cosmetic shade namer from her home in Connecticut. That is such a cool... Thank you very Kicker much. At the end. <laughs> I, I know. I, I. It's exciting to be able to put that on my in the uh, about the author. Yeah, it's nice. Thank it's, you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, oh, thanks for coming. I'm so glad you could come. Um, we're so excited to talk about your book, but we talk about other things first. Yes, starting with the drink. Booze. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, a refreshment on this far too hot yeah it's like 85 degrees in in autumn um all right it's first day of autumn happy first day of autumn a happy first day of autumn (laughs) (laughs) so this drink is inspired by costa alegre um i was just uh messing around with mint simple syrup at home um it's actually steeped with mint tea and uh I was thinking of the book and thought like oh i've got this mezcal from mexico and tequila and I just, with lime and a little bit of orange seltzer, with some mint sprigs on top for the bouquet. That mint syrup really does a, it's an interesting... Well, infused with the mint tea, too, is mm-hmm. sort of a baller move, honestly. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps it being, from being too saccharine. This is a mighty good drink. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I am. I'm. Yeah, and I'm calling it the um, La Bufanda, which is um, Pegin's favorite uh, one of her fun words that she's discovered. Just one of her. She, I think she only has two yes. in the book. <laughs> <laughs> two words that make her happy: la bufanda, which is scarf. So it's appropriate for the first. It really is a very Ooh, appropriate. Yeah. yeah that's, that was. Although purpose. it's ninety-seven degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I'm so glad you like it. It's very refreshing. Ugh. We need it. Well, this means yeah. a lot to me because when I fr- I lived in France for a long time and I had a hard, hard time getting a visa for any kind of job that I would want to do because they were all sort of low level like office jobs that came with visas. So I held out as long as I could and I ended up being a party promoter for Corona. But part of our portfolio, we had all the Negro Modelo beers. So Corona, Pacifico, Clara and Negro Modelo. And then 
we brought on this tequila, tequila mm. Herradura. And it was a great product. And so the other part of my job was to go to five-star hotels. This was back in 2003. Today, I, it would have been an amazing job. But in 2003, no one knew what to do with, you know, top-shelf tequila. Because mm-hmm. um, you couldn't shoot it. But these were expensive bottles so i would go and have these meetings with people in these five-star hotels and try to teach them to sip tequila (laughs) i mean forget about mezcal that wasn't on the scene yet and no one could manage to sell this stuff they just didn't and the winning the the top seller in france got a trip to the agave farm in mexico and i wanted to win it so bad but i sold like (laughs) five bottles the entire year but now it's so trendy. I yeah. think I would have been really living the life if yep. I'd <laughs> kept that show. I wouldn't so have funny. written any books, but <laughs> <laughs> but you would have been an incredible tequila promoter. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> great doors, commission. You know? Yeah, it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could have been Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> could have been. Oh, could have been. <laughs> um. So that's the drink. Yeah. And nice. But we'll be. You'll be it. hearing it. As we record here, you want to talk about a book you bought? Drew? Sure. Uh, I've got two. They are both very September feeling books. Uh, Both are brand new or new ish. Uh, The Not Wives by Carly Moore, that's out from Feminist Press. Mm -hmm. And it's. It's an Occupy set novel and just something something about it. Um, they had pinged us. Uh, it was on their list. And I was like, oh, this does sound really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then weirdly, as I was picking that up, I also picked up a copy of Caleb Crane's Overthrow, which is another like Occupy. Occupy. I don't yeah. know. It's something huh. about the air in Could it September. be the coming election? Mm-hmm. I think it is. <laughs> It's trying to look back and see what we've all done wrong mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got. Oh, nice. Courtney, how about you? Well, I'm very excited because I just used my credit card at um, Greenlight Bookstore. I just came from the Brooklyn Book Festival and I went to um, a panel called Coming Out and of Age that was um moderated by Alex Chi. So it, it was just an amazing panel. Cool. And I had books of two of the panelists but not two others so i ran out and i bought um nicole dennis ben's patsy and casey gerald's there will be no miracles here Mm. so a novel and a memoir um i'm super psyched yeah those sound great that sounds like a cool panel too oh it was an amazing panel t kira madden was on it i already have her book so um cool um, yeah, no, and it was great. It was, re- it was it was filled to capacity. It was a very exciting moment. Well, Al- Alexander Chi also has a yes. has a big following of people that just like they him. were there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all the all all the Chi heads. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, um, he's a he was a former guest on the show. Go find that episode if you haven't heard it. It's I a haven't. Good one. I would love to. Yeah, people. I I will have listen to it on my five hour drive. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Christopher? Um, I actually went and bought a book from Greenlight Bookstore for their... Ah. They do that party at the beginning of the Brooklyn Book Festival every year. And so I went to that, and um, they just had an enormous stack of these um, uh, Permanent Record by Mary H.K. Choi. Okay. And it's this beautiful acetate 
cover, um, which I guess that's trendy again, which is nice. <laughs> I always liked that type of cover. <laughs> um, it's a really cool looking book that's like um, about teens falling in love over social media and and how their social media affects their lives. Mm. Cool. And I also got this other book that I think, um, you know, ties into that one. Uh, actually, at the uh, the small press fair a couple weeks ago that was in front of the Brooklyn um, Public Library, mm-hmm. I got... Um, how to Dis- Disappear in America Without a Trace hmm. by Ooh. Suzanne Berner. Can it still be done? Um, that's what this is. It's yeah. actually a literal um, how-to. Yeah. It's not like oh, wow. writings on the subject. It's I think about step by lot. step how to disappear. Um, and it's, uh, I'm, I, you know, I think once you fall in love on social media, it's served its purpose. And now you, now can, you can disappear. Now you can disappear oh, in America without oh, a okay. trace. <laughs> cool. So I'm really excited to um, read both of these. Yeah. Very cool. Um, we also bought and read um, <laughs> your book, <laughs> uh, Costa Alegre. Um, it's a uh, it's a beautiful book out from Tin House. Uh, t- can you tell our listeners what it's about? Sure. So Costa Alegre is my first work of historical fiction, and it begins in 1937. Um, it's a couple years earlier than when this happened in real life. In around 1941, Hitler had um, put on an art show, a giant uh, exhibit of culturally degenerate artworks. Mm-hmm. And the sort of gallery catalog ended up functioning as a hit list for all the artists and intellectuals and some novelists or writers. Wow. Yeah, that he was going to round up incarcerate eventually kill so there was an american journalist at the time named varian fry who started something called the emergency rescue committee committee (laughs) (laughs) emergency rescue committee and peggy guggenheim was one of the bank rollers peggy guggenheim the um heiress and art collector one of the bank rollers of this um so she helped these A-list artists, you know, some of the most important artists of that generation and still today actually get out of Europe. They went by plane, the A-listers. The D-listers had to go by boat mm-hmm. along with most of this art. Um, so again, in real life, most of them were in New York. Um, they were taken under her wings, specifically other people's wings. Now, Costa Alegre imagines all of this happening, but from the point of view of... Peggy Guggenheim's 15-year-old daughter, um, who was named Pegine Vale mm-hmm. Guggenheim in this book. She's fictionalized as Lara Calloway and her mother's Leonora. And um, instead of our artists arriving in New York, they are shepherded to the jungle in western Mexico, an, a region that, called Costa Alegre that actually exists. Um, there's about 10 with staff, maybe a dozen people sort of marooned in this weird house on a cliff and the Costa Alegre is the diary of this young girl Lara and it recounts what's happening while these artists are in exile waiting to find out if there's war and also waiting to find out if their own artwork and thus her inheritance is going to arrive or not Mm. (laughs) yeah they're waiting for the boat the whole time right it's like the ship of fools except it it's a real (laughs) (laughs) it's um all along with all of that is it's really funny because it's this oh thank you um (laughs) this teenager's voice um 
throughout with so many um exclamation points and like <laughs> double question marks and things um that i just you know you, you just don't encounter that many um that much fun with punctuation it's this is making me nervous did i go nuts with the explanation there's not like double explanation <laughs> no 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 but she just you know she's well she has she's moments of rare moments of optimism it's it's nice that you said that because i had a there was an editor that turned this down because she felt uncomfortable with the humor amidst really? all the yeah with the rest of the serious content she was just like i don't see how it fits in and i thought well i i guess we can't work together because <laughs> i think it's great yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no i mean i think the the diary has it's not just a straight up diary it's the only object she has been allowed to br or had time really to bring to mm -hmm. mexico she didn't couldn't bring any of her own art supplies she she herself is longing to be an artist she has no friends there's no one who speaks her language there's no english books so she just has this diary so there's drawings in it there's lists there's letters that she's intending to send but there's no way to send the letters mm -hmm. and so the the tone of voice does fluctuate there's times where she's feeling dreamy or really angry at her mom and the explanation points are coming in or she's trying out a sort of a new literary voice mm -hmm. um there's a lot of playful content but some some sad stuff too can can you talk about finding the form of the diary like was it yeah. always did it start as a diary oh or? god no of course not no i have this, <laughs> I, I thankfully now when i first started working i have the same agent now rebecca gradinger for all four of my books and when i first started with her the poor woman i would literally like hot off the presses do the first draft and be like i i don't mean to toot my own horn but like it's brilliant <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, you know 17 months later i was still working on the re like i have to actually write a tremendous amount of drafts and often the first draft of the book doesn't even come close to what the end of the book so this book started off as a um more of a non-fiction project that took place in the 1970s mm. and it was more about the people who founded this resort in costa Alegre called oh. costa Correas, where the characters start and um i was researching the Guggenheims, because I was just thinking about eccentric families and looking for anecdotes to, to help um, inspire me, really. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, long story short, I, when I read Peggy Guggenheim's own memoir, you know, she mentions her daughter once the way you might, like, one day a neighbor came by and brought some mail for me that landed at his house instead of mine. That was, like, the extent to which her daughter was mentioned. And when... So that sent me on a little goose chase to see, well, who was this person? And when I saw that she wanted to be a, ri um, a writer, <laughs> projecting my own, when it, um, that she wanted to be an artist, mm -hmm. I thought, oh, my God. Right. Huh. What in the hell would that have been like? Your yeah. mom is the most powerful person in art. She can make or break anyone's career. She's neglecting yours, but yet you're, you're actually living with and traveling around the world with the, the most powerful artists. Um, that's some heavy stuff, mm -hmm. right? So I tried um, I tried the book from different... Once I decided, okay, no, I'm going to commit to the pre-World War II era, I, there's such interesting people in the book mm -hmm. um, in terms of artistic heritage that I did try writing from all different people's point of views. But oh. the reason I wanted to do the book in the first place was to try to find... Laura or you know Pagin's voice mm -hmm. which she's just completely effaced from from all she's just not her her painting survived but mm. um she 
there's just nothing about her. You can't find anything out about this woman. And, and I wanted her to speak. I wanted to hear her side of the story. So I settled on the, the diary. And then, um, you know, the challenge then became, well, how can I tell the story of what's happening in the wider world? Because war is coming. It just hasn't arrived yet. So how can I make this claustrophobic but not um, leave enough space and air that we're seeing what the other characters are doing and what they're up to and what their movements mean for for her Mm -hmm. and one of the ways i saw that was i'm familiar with this place where the book takes place in in costa legra and the architecture there is very specific and all the doorways are round and Mm. very few doors actually have doors and the windows all look at other room it's it's um it's like an ouroboros type architecture so yeah it's very weird um and the bedroom where she sleeps is a bedroom that i've been in that actually has just a giant round hole that looks out on the ocean and there's no screen i mean even now you know 2009 there's no screen so bats fly in and stuff Mm. um there's no door it's it, it and so sort of from any point in the house you can see what other people are doing uh-huh. so even if she just sat on her mattress all day long right which she doesn't i mean she moves around but um you know she, she's like a spy right. <laughs> on her own well extended family really <laughs> <laughs> one of the joys of this book um is the like teenage side eye um, that she has for these artists like they're all just ridiculous people like she knows she knows them more as like ridiculous humans than right, she does right. as artists so they don't have any of their like the pompous like, like respect yeah. or anything they're just like that one guy who paints in the nude right <laughs> <laughs> right right she she would really like someone to come along and tell her whether or not she has a gift mm-hmm. and none of these artists have done that they're they're they sort of humor her admiration for the pursuit of visual arts, but she, what she's really longing for is one of these, you know, top-notch people to come and say like, "That is important. What you're doing is important. You're good." And we start to see the opposite happening in this book, which is something that made me really sad, but but seems truthful. I mean, you know, I'm no art critic and I'm not an art historian, but if you look at Act- Pegine Vale Guggenheim's artwork. The, it's forcefully um, or purposely rather naive mm-hmm. and she certainly has a talent but I, I my own personal opinion is that it lacks um, I don't know I mean what's what inspiration what, well no the inspiration was definitely there but you know she didn't in my opinion again she didn't have it she didn't have the thing mm-hmm. that like Max Ernst has she didn't have the thing that um, Juna Barnes, I mean, different, Leonora Carrington, the, the, these are people who traverse different mediums, but um, someone asked me the other day in an interview, you know, the famous question, like, can writing be learned? Mm. Uh-huh. I do think you can learn to write, but can you learn to have a distinctive voice, you know? Right. And I think it's the same with visual art. And, and so the idea of this person, because at, at 15, you can really yearn to to be wonderful at something you're that's old enough and you're also old enough i think to start to realize whether or not you you do have that gift yeah and if all you have is a propensity for it well then what can you still make it your profession Mm -hmm. you know is it enough to really be diligent um 
and to want something or do you, do you actually have to have you know if one believes in god like a god-given talent mm. i don't know this is a question i think about yeah <laughs> yeah uh for your own work or for your for your own self or just when you're reading something or or well i find i think that i all of my books deal with the the uh, creativity and the pursuit of creativity and the um attempt to make a livelihood out of your creativity so in different ways you know i've written from different characters points of views where they're they're succeeding or they're not or they're succeeding like in my first book the narrator is starting to have commercial success at the exact moment where he realizes he's a hack and that his work is just like shit mm. but people are buying it up you right. know, he's doing these cheesy realistic paintings and they're selling like wildfire and so he tries to do this you know gritty installation and 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 um I don't think he's a great talent. I mean, I made him up. I made him up. Whereas in my second book, Touch, I think you're dealing with someone who actually does have a gift, a real gift. She's a trend forecaster and she sees things before other people do. But she's working in an environment where gifts don't... Like, you have to make magic happen on, on Instagram. Like, that's mm -hmm. what matters. You can falsify... I mean, I don't, I could talk about this forever, but you can <laughs> falsify magic, like yeah. what magic is and what a gift is and what talent is. It's losing um, its original definition, I think, yeah. with the with the social media, with the value that social media can place on different um, forms of expression. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something about this, the moment at which Costa Alegre takes place in the art world where there was still so much territory being uncovered mm -hmm. yeah and i i love the surrealist movement and the dadaist movement and i found yeah. myself trying to connect the artists in the book yeah. <laughs> to real artists and find and sometimes i was like oh i'm pretty sure that's leonard carrying on and then i was like oh no but that doesn't right track. no it doesn't yeah because most of them are composites mm. How did you... So no one person is one person. They're all like smoothies of other people. <laughs> How, what was your recipe for the smoothies? Were, were you... Did you feel freed to do it? Or did you feel like, oh, I kind of have to shoehorn in this angle of this person? No, I certainly didn't feel shoehorned. Because um, there's like some of the timing is completely off there's a salvador dali type character mm -hmm. and like the history that's just this is the wrong time for him to be there but um really what it was was i researched really heavily for a year i mean with the seriousness of which you know I'm, i would have used to approach like a doctoral thesis or something really really wow. researched so i looked at the people who would have who were in peggy guggenheim's um intimate circle mm -hmm. then i looked at the artists who she actually supported and who she actually helps get out of um Europe and then sort of looking at the outer circle of people who complicated Peggy Guggenheim's life and who would have complicated thus Pegine's life so mm. like Max Ernst had to be in it mm -hmm. because at the time where Peggy Guggenheim she marries him to get him out of um, a labor camp so he's in a labor camp in Germany um, at that time madly in love with Leonore Carrington who was madly in love with him but Leonora Carrington when he was taken away she had a nervous breakdown sold their, they had a house if I'm not speaking out of turn I think it was in the south of France she had a true nervous breakdown sold it for a bottle of whiskey and ended up in oh a in, I mean you can't make this stuff <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I love it and and ended up in a um 
what did they call the uh, sanatorium? A sanatorium, right? In in I think the north of Spain, and so she just they couldn't get to each other. So then, I mean, from what I could find out, Max Ernst he marries Peggy Guggenheim. He ends up having a thing for Pegin. Mm. Perhaps it was reciprocal, but he does start to put her in his paintings. Mm-hmm. So he had to come along to Mexico. This is like really, and then you know there were people. I was very interested in the men who influenced, who sort of whispered into Peggy's ear, like what she should buy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Andre Breton and Marcel Duchamp seemed to really influence her. But I, I, I couldn't pick one or the other, so I just blended them together with the sort of patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Leonora Carrington, I mean, it makes perfect sense that you're like, oh, this, this, but because she, she's also blended with Juna Barnes. Oh. They're mixed up in the same woman and also inspired. There's, I put in, you know, there's every person has like 35% inspiration of people I know in Mexico mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. live in this actual place. And so there's a woman I know there who is a major... Um, animal protector so the story of the goat yeah Mm. where where um lara they come upon this goat that's tied up and going to be slaughtered and this this woman hetty is like oh no goat slaughter will happen today and you know they (laughs) steal the goat away and something bad happened so that was um a true story that was told to me by a friend of mine who has a ranch down there and he he had brought this goat as an exchange he owed a guy something and like money, you know, uh, livestock is, is still money in this mm-hmm. part of Mexico. So the goat was payment. It was just tied up. Mm-hmm. And this woman I know came along, you know, was just so th- put him in the car, <laughs> drove him home. And then he did escape this goat. And like you, if you're a goat that escapes in this this part of Mexico, good things are not. It's better that if you were just killed. For yeah. the barbecue. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a mishmash of fact, fiction some in jokes (laughs) (laughs) it's funny it reads um i i kept thinking of um i capture the castle by dodie smith while i was reading this book you know i need to revisit that that's nice uh, of you to say that um it's a you know because it's a teenager in a rat like a crumbling yeah m- manse <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> wandering around having you first had me cr- at manse. <laughs> uh, uh, you know so all of this stuff like all of the artists they're all there and she's dealing with them but really everything is like through this like she wants to connect to her mom she wants yeah. to like matter to her mm-hmm. she wants to matter to the people there to like just invite her into conversation and she just wants to really be held or belong or yeah um matter I mean, this is, again, like going back to the real research, I would find these stories of when, you know, they moved around a lot and they'd rent all these different summer homes and sometimes Peggy would just forget her daughter. She would pack up and just, because the, you know, the the help (laughs) would be packing and then forget the daughter. Oh my God. It took me, it's probably a couple weeks after I had finished reading the book that I found myself starting to think about the way that I was interpreting conversations, like when I was a kid Hmm. or the way that, that kids like over the last six years interpreted the conversations, like in the lead up to Trump's election, Mm. where if you were to look back, like if you knew what you were looking for, but from a kid's point of view, it's just kind of like something 
weird is going on, but also I have my own shit. Yeah. Pay right. attention to me. Right, yeah. right. And, and they need things. Yeah, no, I mean, that's very much on my mind right now because I have a five-year-old and when Trump, uh, air quotes, won, <laughs> close air quotes, uh, the election, <laughs> we didn't know what extent, you know, I was like crying and yeah. I, I, I didn't know to what extent do we hide this from? So in the beginning, we sort of explained it as like someone very bad you know, has won something that wasn't necessarily his. But now <clears throat> she wants more details. She wants the examples of the badness. And so we're starting to, I mean, there's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're starting to share them. Mm. I mean, it's funny that we're talking about, I, I was thinking about, um, maybe just because I'm watching Veep for the first time, but I was thinking of um, Catherine and Selena's relationship versus like um, Laura and... Uh, so what's Catherine and, and this is because I haven't seen Veep. So... Catherine is Selena's daughter um, okay. and Selena is the president, uh, vice president and, okay. and very much forgotten all the time, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of moments where she's like, oh, I forgot you were here. Yeah. And it's just like, what a fucking thing to hear. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, someone reached out to me recently who know, who knew Peggy Guggenheim and she's like, I think you went too easy on mm -hmm. her. Wow. Um, it was worse than that. You know, it was, but well, it's fiction. <laughs> I, I wanted a more hopeful right. yeah. uh, trajectory for mm -hmm. this young person. And also, it's fiction. Do you see your books? You were kind of talking about them in a... In a do you see them on a continuum? Do you think of like the Courtney Mom library? No, like I thought that they were completely disparate, but it was it was in another interview where someone said to me... <laughs> All your books deal with like the the creative pursuit. Mm -hmm. huh. I was like, oh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> That's so helpful that you just told me that because I'm not sure, especially with Costa Alegre, which is a departure style wise from mm -hmm. the first two. I was thinking like, gosh, am I all over the place? And then I have this fourth book, which is you know like a writing hand guide. Mm -hmm. But then when when that person said that to me, I thought, oh no, I am obsessed with what it means, looks like, feels like. Um, costs to make art mm -hmm. and in that light my fourth book makes a lot of sense and yeah <laughs> i because I, I think i think um especially today where it's not a private act anymore mm -hmm. because you're just documenting everything i mean as a writer especially as a as a, a female author your publishers really want you on instagram and social media all the time taking pictures of every single thing you know you'll see people who are sharing to me this i mean i would never but they're sharing uh the opening chapter to brand new work or mm -hmm. yeah saying how many words they are along in something i just did that i'll admit um on twitter <laughs> but but um that, that stuff used to be incredibly private mm -hmm. yes yeah you know uh, or it was really that was like elite information if you were at a residency or in a situation like costa legway where there are a bunch of other creatives mm -hmm. you could see with your own eyes right. what people were doing but they weren't like tweeting about it <laughs> you know do you think that um is a good a net positive for the creative process that like it's sort of becoming um less private and secret and like less of the secret room or do you think that people are maybe i don't know i hate i hate referencing friends in in general <laughs> um but he you know he's like nobody with an internet connection can write a good novel um well yeah obviously that's not true yeah obviously that's <laughs> not but I, I but 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 um i will say that 
I think in order for social media to be a positive experience for writers specifically, if we're talking about writers, um, someone needs to sit them down and school them on like, listen, it's not always going to feel good. To You know, you've got your happy piece of news you want to share. You're going to go on there and the first thing you're going to see is that, I don't know, the long list came out for some award that, you know, you, you, you're not on or uh, such and such a festival announced their lineup and you're not on it or uh, you know you that you had a chance in getting in People magazine and it didn't happen. You know, you, 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 some, that, and that's what my next book is about in part is learning to keep social media as a tool for connections new connections and also staying in touch with people and have fun with it and not let it derail you mm. from the path of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Cause it can be an amazing, I mean, I'm able simply through tagging someone on Instagram, I can all of a sudden dialogue with a, with a writer who's much higher station than I am, who I might not be in the same room with mm-hmm. uh, physical room with otherwise. And we can just start like, like I don't know, I like text a lot with Lisa Tadeo now because of some, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's amazing. That's great. And that can be a wonderful tool. And I think it's really neat when people support each other by showing photos of people's books and all that's great. But I've, I have a lot of friends who I'm not a hundred percent sure they're going to get their second books in mm. because they just, and honestly, sure. like they might be ruined. They can't find, they can no longer access that deeply private, like new um new relationship energy (laughs) um (laughs) with the the book that they're working on because they feel like they need to be it's this pavlovian thing they feel like they need to be documenting everything you know Mm -hmm. hashtag i'm writing hashtag i'm writing no you're not writing (laughs) (laughs) um the concentration's gone Mm -hmm. yeah so it's a drug it really is social media is a drug and if you do not learn how much of it you can handle before it overtakes you um no it's not going to be a positive Mm. experience at all yeah i can't help but like apply social media backwards because i just feel like sometimes like new technology isn't actually new it's just sure like newly um packaged yeah but you know i think about something like um the Panero family yeah, and, the, yeah. Uh, um, and the book that you I'm just like, would that have helped them? Would have, that have hurt them? Would they have even been able to have a documentary about them if they had been like documenting themselves this whole time? You know, it huh. was, they oh, did I doc- think it totally, it would have turned in. So, so uh, the pivoting to the Panero family yeah. in the age of disenchantments. Um, I totally see Leopoldo Maria Panero, he would have had like the so sad today Twitter <laughs> account, or it would have been Louis, any one of those brothers, really. Yeah, I think they would have been internet stars. Yeah, yeah. they were, they With are similar experience, except they would have been paid. Like, the I've been talking back and forth with Aaron, the author of The Age of Disenchantments, about gen- genteel poverty because mm. he's been starting, he's started to be contacted by members of the well he was in touch with a lot of the members of the family but he's like oh i've been working on a like a screenplay adaption and the airs are coming out of the woodwork and i was telling him <laughs> that i'm starting to get some emails from from um different branches of the the guggenheims the book is start it's not something i did but the book is starting to land mm. and i was like heron 
do I need to be prepared for a lawsuit? You know, yeah. and we were talking about how with this genteel poverty thing that is 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 really lushly dis, um, sort of displayed in his book and also the movie that inspired his book, you have these people who they are kind of are like social media influencers because they don't do anything. They don't really get job i mean they get jobs at like literary magazines but mm, come on when right. has that ever paid your rent in brooklyn right? <laughs> and they're in madrid so it's the same thing and they just um sort of they, they do what we do right they, they go to the literary parties and they drink the wine and they eat the food and they come home and they can't heat their house yeah <laughs> so i totally see every single person in that family even the mother could have that blue check verification by their name <laughs> but they'd be sponsored you know maybe the mom would be sponsored by like a wrinkle cream or mm. um and then the sons it would be like probably an alcohol brand mm -hmm. or <laughs> sneakers yeah. or something and Ryan Reynolds, they'd get just Aviator enough yeah. <laughs> they'd get just enough and then what maybe they'd have a talk show or a reality show that would just be terrible because this is sort of like the movie that Aaron that inspired Aaron to write this book I it could honestly be like the first piece of reality television because you're just watching this family deconstruct in front of a camera that no one stops from mm. running. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I printed out, I thought, um, when the movie came out, this documentary about them and the documentary, by the way, comes out when the father's already the, the main character, Leopoldo Pinero, famous Spanish poet who, who, was super controversial because he started he came out you know as a leftist poet and then you know conveniently and i'm not making fun of it. i mean it, it saved his life he was like okay actually i'm a fascist poet now and mm -hmm. <laughs> love it'd franco be, franco's it'd be like, so great um, oh, oh someone like being obama's poet laureate and then like totally. switching over and being like i maga like yeah. no, i mean it's incredible it's, it's wild but you know it it, it wasn't a joke right like mm -hmm. it saves his life on numerous occasions but he the problem is that he never really reverted back to the left but yeah there's this a critic a movie critic i'm not sure that the name of the critic was cited if uh, but the after the movie came out a critic wrote um it's a scandal of a movie in which they sell out their intimacy making an auction out of privacies and memories because they had nothing else to sell <laughs> to keep freeloading and drinking and then another critic said it's a hair-raising settling of scores with a dead man oh Ooh. man Urgh, right yeah Ooh. and the uh, people in the family stop speaking to them and they end up like there was a brief moment of fame and then it was like a you know it was like a um oh, who's that uh, britney spears type thing like mm. brief moment of fame and fortune and then at the end of the day i had a section i wanted to read of, about w the outcomes of one of the brothers but they're just hobbling around mm -hmm. yeah with dental problems yeah <laughs> teeth falling out. for real yeah yeah um, I, I want to give the whole title to everybody just so that yeah. they know more of what we're, it's the, this is the age of disenchantments, the epic story of Spain's most notorious literary family and the long shadow of the Spanish civil war. And the reason why I wanted to read that all out is because I did, I had no, <laughs> I had not heard of the Panero anything right. yep. at all I yep. hadn't either. before you, um, introduce the book to us but it now it's like one of these things it's you know we we have these where it turns out there's key texts that you'd never even heard of but yeah. then like have actually inspired a lot of people panero is one of those like oh like i just never read that because i didn't know what that was right right in like you a list yeah, of he, i was reading something that um bolaño in 2666 sure. yeah the archimboldi section the like poet the the unnamed like wild man poet was 
was Benero. So, but like, it, it was, but it was Leopoldo Maria. It was the son. Yeah. Yeah. So, because the the beginning half of this book is dedicated to Leopoldo Pinero, the father who had a storied history, but then he has three sons, and it's always confusing because the genteel, rich, but impoverished <laughs> seem to always <laughs> name their everyone's name the same. So then yeah. he has a son. It's, it's like Russian literature. Jean Louis, Jean Louis, Leopoldo, Leopoldo Maria, and then Michi. Mm. And so it's the middle one who Bolano was like, this is one of the greatest poets of any generation yeah. ever. And he was a huge inspiration to, I think, continues to be a lighthouse for freaks. Like, but, you mm-hmm. know, for, I'm not using that word in a derogatory sense. I'm yeah. affectionate, sort of crazy freaks. Yeah. Uh, Andy Warhol style or? I, th- th- no, I because that's like, that was a red carpet freaks. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> like you can't, not everyone right. got to hang out with Andy Warhol. No, no, more like... Um, I'm like thinking of like Kelly Link, like the people that are, oh, you know, yeah. dead, d- um, set just huge fans. I, I mean, she seems like she welcomes all types. I don't know. I don't know her per- personally, so perhaps it's not true. But Andy Warhol does not, whether whether it was his personality or his mm-hmm. handlers, I don't think you could very easily get to Andy Warhol. Could you have? I mean, you had if you went into Studio 54, fine, but right. you still needed to have the clothes. Mm-hmm. It's more like the there's a lot of barriers to entry. Sure, sure, yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, uh, it's not like Patti Smith and Robert Mablethorpe at the Hotel Chelsea, yeah. but it's that like that era of at, it's like Emma Goldman. I mean, that's really yeah. it's like the anarchists who were living in the village and that ability yeah. to like randomly bump into somebody who was going to change the future. But yeah. he, w- but but he was. I mean, there was a period of time where he was actually homeless. I mean, he spent most of his um, life in sanatoriums truly Mm -hmm. there's a line in the book about you know his mother uh felicidad tries to keep him at home but it was Mm -hmm. just so expensive because he would break through walls and so it ended up that the only places that could contain him were were insane asylums yeah just Mm -hmm. architecturally that could contain him We talk about like you can't make these kinds of things up. There's so there's so much plot in this book. Yeah. When you look at like it yeah. starts it's really dense. Basically, <laughs> it starts with Lorca's death. Yeah. And then just charges through almost a century. Yeah. And, and it's it's a lot. A which lot is happens. by the way like the, when you when you read the book, the first half of the book was very hard for me to read because I thought like this is. I mean, can you imagine if Toni Morrison hadn't died of natural causes but had been killed? by mm-hmm. It doesn't seem that far off right now, right? Yeah. But it still seems far off enough, whereas in this period of time in Spain, this was happening mm-hmm. on the regular. Mm-hmm. You know, this the older, the senior Leopoldo, he lost a lot of friends to gunfire, gunfire in yeah. the back of the head. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's... And that people are still searching for Lorca's remains. I mean, it's um, yeah. it's it's pretty mind-bending stuff. But and you see the way that everyone, you know, and then he goes and has a fight with Neruda, and like yeah. it's all. <laughs> I, there's a lot of mind. There's a lot of stuff. shade going back and forth. There's so much like the the importance of poetry at all. Just like that, that could that your poetry could that get could you start killed, a fight. Yeah, that that you would could be like an absolutely like top like. I don't know if it was A-list celebrity, but yeah. you know, up there, based on your poetry, or become like <laughs> yeah. or become one. Like mm-hmm. if you look at Neruda, his career took off when he started writing. When it became more uh, political, his mm-hmm. his, yeah. his work. Because mm. in the beginning, it was love poems. Yeah, 
right? I don't have that wrong. I think he started with the love poems and then he became a more social activist and he read the love poems at, at the end. You know, yeah. People love them, but, <laughs> but I don't think it was the love poems that, that brought him the worldwide fame. Well, you got to have the hip hop song first. You got to have the hip hop song. Sure. <laughs> and then you can get pretty weird. Can I read a paragraph? Yeah, yeah please. Near the end of Age of Disenchantments when the father figure has passed away. And it's just about this fellow Leopoldo Jr. that we've been talking about. Um, Leopoldo went to Paris to see his adored Mercedes, a woman, not the car, <laughs> despite the fact she had broken up with him. Instead of trying to kill himself, as he had done after Anna Maria Moix rejected him, he lengthened his anthology of chaos. After flooding Mercedes' apartment one day while she was out, I, I, I intend that, I mean, it, it, he flooded it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, he... <laughs> I mean, after flooding Mercedes' apartment one day while she was out, he lived on the streets, eating from garbage bins and losing more teeth. From now on, he would increasingly live as if his sole purpose in life was to inflate his mythos as a visionary disaster. <laughs> visionary disaster is my new band oh name. Oh my god! Yeah. That, you know, and they never even dated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because she was a lesbian. Right. <laughs> so. And he was gay, mm -hmm. by oh, yeah. the by. Well, well, bisexual. Bisexual, it seemed. But towards the end, he identified more. It was sort of like, I'm gay, except for this woman who doesn't want me. <laughs> but can you imagine if someone who wasn't even your ex, but sort of imagined that you had had flooded your flooded apartment? Flooded your apartment. Yeah, that's oh, uh, there, that's never returned to either. It's just like, no. it's just a light <laughs> note. To the, no, to but when I was talking about like the architecture of keeping him in, his mother talks about how just... The, the 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 structural upkeep because he would he would build fires in the home and he mm. would flood things and he was i don't know involved in arson like oh god it's just a nightmare <laughs> yeah i feel like as we try to come up with american or at least like a english-speaking analogs the closest and and aaron Schulman references this is great gardens yeah I was yeah and the, yeah, like, yeah yeah Right, because the social class at that level would be the same. But I don't know that their commitment to literature was... No, uh, no. Right, so it wasn't... No. But yeah, I mean, there is, there is... In America, there isn't. There's no tradition so deep that, that really ties art together with... I don't think maybe so. I mean, you have... Gerald's. You have, like, yeah, the maybe. great... The, the conglomerate publishing families, like the Hearst, but they're, sure. they're just at such a different level of wealth. Because this... this this is like fake wealth. This is like out where I live in Connecticut. There's a lot of families like this, actually, that they, they're in these huge estates, but they can only afford to heat one room and mm -hmm. all their cashmere sweaters have moth holes in them. And it is a very Grey Gardens type existence. But um, no, on the national level of importance, I can't really, you know, it's, I don't know. The Obamas are very important, but yeah. it's not, it, it, it's, it's. It's not the same. No. Yeah, it's like the a lot of misfortune would have to befall the Obama girls oh, in no, order for that. Like, you know what I mean? Let's not wish that on the no, no, yeah. no. Right, and I mean, you do have it. It's an interesting thing because you have a uh, a woman who was totally effaced by her husband, who was incredibly smart and a wonderful writer. You know, there's a section in the book where there's an insinuation that she actually wrote his yeah. work that's not really returned to. Um, 
And then when he dies, she goes on to become this like important socialite, gets her book published. But then she has three sons and none of them reproduce. Mm -hmm. So it's a weird, just in terms of genders and reproduction, it's sort of an interesting story. Whereas if you had had three daughters, Mm -hmm. it can't possibly be the same because especially in Spain where, um, you know... (laughs) the possibilities for women are much more limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they go into that for yeah. for Felicidad, like her um her background is like that she kind of rails against that in in but some ways. That she dares to get a job because there's a part of me yeah. that throughout I was like why don't these people get jobs <laughs> <laughs> instead of they're selling their paintings or selling their and then I had to remind myself okay, we're in a Spain where the mother's not truly not supposed to work. It's really looked down upon and sons stay in the house until they're 26 and they get married. Mm-hmm. It's a long time to have three boys. In yeah. the house. But, um, you know, it just wasn't the done mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently their station was important enough to them that they did. They went so far as to sell their own house mm-hmm. before any of them would like get a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's such a strange book in a lot of ways because like, like I said, like I didn't know anything about them going in, but coming out, I feel like now, now it's going to be one of those, um, oh shoot. What's it called? Uh, reference. No. Rosetta Stone. No. (laughs) Um, oh, shibboleth. I remember. Um, it's it's one of these things that's like a frequency illusion now oh. where I'm oh, going to be sure. able to see Panero everywhere of course because like I've just read yeah. this and now it's like a key text um, yeah yeah it was you know thank you for having us yeah. read it it's such a it's, it's so, interesting and it makes me really want to watch this movie um, oh you have to watch the movie the, um, it's wild the, you have to watch the movie but you have to like have some snacks and stuff because it starts off until you really get into the rhythm and until the they start going after each other it takes a while mm. just the two the two brothers sitting at the table oh. the one of them has the jack like the big jacket he has over like a his, carpet on his I <laughs> just I would just look at frames from it mm. as yeah. art itself which and is they have also, frames I mean, in yeah. the book of that exact moment where with the question cause so louise um refused to be in the film if he didn't want to be next to leopoldo why because they're jealous of each other's poetry <laughs> i mean this is insane right so he could only be in the shot with his brother michi so that scene they're screaming at each other because michi had dared ask you know how would things have been different if if um i was thinking about leopoldo if he was here with us in mm-hmm. the film right now and uh, again like I'm taking beginner Spanish right now and I was just the torrent <laughs> of of words that all of a sudden and gestures, the yeah. gestures alone in the book, they talk about how critics thought that it was actually sped, sped up. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to make it to that scene alone. But, it, it, <laughs> but then you, then if you make it to that scene, you really have to hang in there. And I say hang in there just cause it's a weird film. Like the rhythm is odd. Mm. It's in, you most people will probably have to watch it in, in uh, with subtitles, which is, can be exhausting, but you have to sit there through the end because it gets, they all turn on their mother. I mean, I just cannot, I can't even tell my mother how much I dislike like the Christmas presents she gives me. <laughs> There's no world in which, I can imagine turning to my mother and just calmly yeah. at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday regurgitate very calmly everything I've ever held against her mm. and how I think she's, you know, ruined my life and mm. what it, uh, they, just they accuse her. Right. <laughs> just because someone asked. Unbeno- on film. And they, 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 all the sons accuse her of being a coward. And what's amazing is she just sits there like very calmly and in mm-hmm. this really 
uh, patrician voice responds like well you're not being fair to me you know because you weren't a woman at that age it's and the going back and forth she really stands up for herself yeah in a way where i honestly my own blood and flesh was attacking i mean <laughs> yeah. got a breakdown and the amazing thing is they say that the movie you know they had to get everyone to sign off on it mm -hmm. so incredibly these people they, the family members they watched it and then said okay yeah, yeah. let's allow that to be shown yeah 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 because i mean to the point of like what what does a modern version of this look like it's reality, reality tv, TV. Yeah. yeah and they're all like fuck sure we'll sign off on that because it's gonna make us famous we'll famous. get our yeah. own shows and stuff mm -hmm. and and it's funny it did it did happen for them but it just not it wasn't important enough it didn't last long enough they tried to do a follow-up film which was a total disaster you know no one <laughs> so many are it mm. didn't really end well i mean it, maybe for the mother she seemed sort of mm. to have it together but the the sons yeah, even, yeah. even the like the son that everyone thinks things were going to be okay for Michi. He ended up the worst of all. Leopoldo lived the longest. Mm -hmm. I, he must have gotten some dental care. Along <laughs> <laughs> the losing teeth thing. Like I just can't. Yeah. Have, I, did either of you ever read Martin Amos's memoir about like his dental problems? No. no. This is a really upsetting book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was thinking of um, the Samuel Beckett book, uh, Malloy, where mm -hmm. he's just like, he's always just like, he doesn't have any teeth or he's like trying to work with no teeth. I don't know. I, it's just I, the, that, the that teeth thing is really rough. Yeah. <laughs> I love my teeth. I, <laughs> I use them that's so the frequently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, let's, um, let's go to a nicer way to end and, uh, and recommend <laughs> some recommendations. Some, very good. Recommend okay. some books to people or, or other things, movies, okay. things. Uh, do you want to recommend something, Drew? Sure. Uh, one is in that way when you read a couple of things and then you read something else and they all sort of stack up together. Mm -hmm. uh, this book, The Dinner Guest by Gabriela Ibarra, translated mm -hmm. by Natasha Wimmer. It came out from Transit Books earlier this year. It was on, I think, the Booker International long list mm. last time around. Um, it's It's... Auto fiction e her grandfather was a mayor in Spain and was kidnapped and killed and it's sort of like this mystery that has hung around her family uh, and then it's spliced with her going th uh, working with her mom through cancer mm. in sort of right. basically the present and sort of being like hey what is the deal with all of my family history um, but it just it felt it was a great I read it right after reading the Age of Disenchantments and it was a perfect follow-up um and then the other thing i want to recommend it feels so obvious to mm -hmm. recommend but it is the testaments the margaret atwood book oh, really? it's so good and something that we were just saying that that idea of when leopoldo is like i'm a leftist and then he's like and now i'm a fascist yeah. and it happens like that there's a without giving anything away there's a moment in the book where atwood interrogates like how quickly can you go from being a good person yeah. to selling everybody else out and she ba like there's a moment where I could feel her at her desk looking up and winking at the camera <laughs> and sort of like it Pretty happens quick. like that. Uh, and it just huh. it's even thinking about it right now, it's sending shivers down my spine because huh. it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. 
That's what's happening right now. Mm. Well, uh, Courtney. Yes, I have some recommendations from the from the film world. Um, I just watched a movie called Western, directed by Valeska Griesbach. I might be butchering her last name. I apologize, Valeska. Um, this is it's a feature film, but it has some documentary elements because it's made completely with um, non-professional actors in Bulgaria, and it's a story of a a Western, sorry, a Western, a, um, a German company that comes in to build a very specific bit of infrastructure. I'm forgetting it, it's, a, it's a water pump type situation, mm-hmm. um, and there's an enormous hostility between the the Germans who are there and then the Bulgarians and um, but there's one man working on the the water project who's really interested in the Bulgarians and starts trying to you know metaphorically get a place at their table and he starts to make friends but the tensions build to a place where well you'll just have to watch the movie and then so it's Western the mm-hmm. name of the movie and um, and then my other recommendation is from the movie world for anyone um, in uh, Brooklyn, perhaps, or New York, who wants a really nice uh, intellectual escape, come out to my neck of the woods, which is sort of upstate Connecticut, upstate New York, and there is a place called Boondocks Film Society. You can find them on all the social, well, on Instagram. Um, And they do once a month these sort of happenings where they'll, so they just did Mad Max in a massive like opera theater <gasps> and there's cool. no you can't hear the dialogue they had a live electronic band come in and score the entire thing cool. and then they've shown like Francis Ha in the walled gardens of Troutbeck which is a, a beautiful wow. new resort and they had so you're watching it outside but they had the choreographers come and do the dances live oh cool and uh, so it's called Boondocks Film Society and they do a lot of exciting things in beautiful places so you can have yourself a little weekend um that so sounds awesome. That's so cool. That's yeah. great. Another good reason to move out of the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Christopher? Uh, I'm going to recommend a book um, that I read in one sitting, which um, doesn't happen a lot. It was only 140 pages, so it's not the craziest thing. Uh, but it's Billy by Anna Gavalda. It's out from Europa. Um, it's translated by Jennifer Rappaport. And um, it starts with these two people who have um fallen off a cliff or something like you're not quite sure like what what um injury has befallen them but one of them seems like he's going to end up um fully paralyzed and and she's just like trying to keep him company and so she's telling the story of their whole friendship um wow and it's oh my gosh that's amazing and uh it's such a she's sort of telling it to him and also telling it to the stars that she's looking up at um and it's about it i honestly i maybe i just read just kids so now i'm thinking about just kids all the time but it really was like this sort of like the connection between um patty and robert like that's sort of what this you know um she's straight and he's gay and but they have this like connection and um they come together over art and creating creating art together oh it's so good cool and it's the craziest um translation like it's the most lively like there's all of this wordplay that i'm just like how did (laughs) how did the french wordplay because it's translated from french right how did the french wordplay like come in and then how did she find it for to put it in english 
amazing. Jennifer Rappaport she, did an incredible job. She's a huge uh, star in France, mm. Anna Galvez. She's one of their like most beloved and most productive novelists. She cool. puts out like a novel a year. Awesome. Well, this is a an amazing one to start with if you want. And that's so funny because that really answers the question when you know, when when you start out writing like why is the person why is my narrator telling the story i have to find a reason for the narrator <laughs> what if they fell off a cliff <laughs> and that's she's exactly keeping him alive that's what i, I love kept it. thinking yeah so yeah that's my recommendation <laughs> nice those are great recommendations and we also uh recommend going to pick up a copy of costa alegre by courtney mom it's an incredible novel yeah um it's also a slim, short yeah it's a slim little it's also like a ni- really nice trim size like yeah it's got, and it's uh, with the paper on boards that tin house yeah. oh it's just a really lovely yeah, beautiful object. cover um, it's a lovely holiday gift <laughs> <laughs> so so read all those books you can also um do things online you could leave us an itunes review five stars if you wanted to do that we that's the type of review we like the most (laughs) um and we appreciate when you actually write something those things really help us and we say that every time but it's because it helps us every time they do make christopher happy too he texts me all of them Uh uh-huh um and we also really appreciate when you become a patreon um supporter at any level um but the ten dollar level we sent this beautiful print um by melissa robles robles yeah um out to our patreon subscribers we hope you all enjoyed those um if you're an influencer you can come find us on instagram or twitter you don't even have to influence you can just be you can just be yeah who imbibes all of that stuff. you by being on twitter or instagram fun fact you are an influencer um i feel influenced nice <laughs> And now that's it. That's it. We got we got there. Thank, Thank you, you so much for Thank coming, you, Courtney. Courtney. It was my pleasure. Thanks um, for the drink. No problem. <laughs> See you all soon. Bye.